Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for the man that show hosts across the country have been raving about. What this guy move. has got to be one of the cockiest human beings on planet Earth. On Earth, I love him. I, I happen to like that guy, but who the hell does he think he is? I like that. Okay, maybe not Evan Cohen, but Mike Babchick has a weird obsession with him. That's why I like him, because he's he's hot! He's even caught the eye of Adam Shine. Joe Serralo, pride of St. Bonaventure. Woj has called him the future of the industry. If you're still not sold, well, take Adam's advice. If you don't believe me, ask Joe. He'll be the first one to tell you how great he is. Now, it's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with, you guessed it, Joe Sorallo. I might be too strong out on compliments, overdosed on confidence. Started not to give a fuck and stop fearing the consequence. Drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments. Faded way too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness. And they saying I'm back, I'd agree with that. I just take my time with all this shit, I still believe in that. I had someone tell me I fell off, ooh, I needed that. And they want to see me pick back up, well, where'd I leave it at? Here we go, Sorallo Sports Talk revamped. Episode 4, it's me, Joe Sorallo. Jared Carabas, the Rocket from Barstool Sports, joining us later on in the show. What a night in the NBA, the NHL, the MLB. Thank you, Cleveland Indians. I'm undefeated betting against Matt Harvey in a Royals uniform this year. Best thing that could have ever happened to me, right? I mean, I'm not going to lie. With the amount of injuries that the Mets had, I was almost ready to say let's kick the tires on a Matt Harvey reunion. What's his ERA now? 15 and a half? Thank you, Cleveland Indians, run line. Thank you, every team that's played Kansas City since Matt Harvey returned, run line. You guys are funding all of my bad habits, and I so greatly appreciate it. Not the best night otherwise, though. Islanders, money line. Didn't pan out. Uh, Utah Jazz money line, yeah, didn't pan out. But fucking incredible games. I mean, the Islanders, I know they lost. They're still the team of destiny. The Islanders are still winning the Stanley Cup trophy in the year 2020. I don't want to hear any complaints. I don't want to hear shortened season. I don't want to hear bubble. I don't want to hear any of it. The New York Islanders are winning the Stanley Cup this year. The Denver Nuggets... Can't say the same, but that was some effort last night. Now, if there was a basketball team last night that played that can take home the Larry O'Brien trophy, it was those damn Boston Celtics. I mean, Jason Tatum, not even 24 years old yet. 34 points. Perfect. Perfect from the free throw line. Jason Tatum is a fucking animal. I mean, this kid has proved that 2013 draft, he's your number one pick, right? I mean, Donovan Mitchell's amazing. I love Donovan Mitchell. Probably right now, if you have to talk about those two coming out of that draft class, it's Tatum 1A, Mitchell 1B. That might have been reversed. Mitchell 1A, Tatum 1B a few months ago when the season was on pause. Right now, though, what Jason Tatum's doing in the postseason, and that's not to disparage Donovan Mitchell at all. Donovan Mitchell should have taken the final shot last night. I mean, the fact that Donovan Mitchell didn't have the ball in his hands when that clock hit zero is something I'll get to. It's something I'm not happy about, 
My bank account's not happy about it. I, as a basketball fan, am not happy about it. But Jason Tatum is totally, completely taking over for the Boston Celtics, who, don't look now, are 6-0 and in this NBA postseason. I mean, look, the 76ers series, did anyone expect a sweep? I don't think so. I did expect Boston in five, though, with no Ben Simmons. I don't think that was too far-fetched. I mean, Joel Embiid is not... You know, he's a great player. He's probably the best player on the 76ers, but he's still a center. And if your best player is a center, well, in 2020, that typically doesn't work out all that well. Just ask any team that Anthony Davis played for prior to teaming up with LeBron. I mean, am I right or am I right? So Ben Simmons missing. Tobias Harris had a great series, just wasn't enough. He's not you know, he's not really your star player. He's a great number two. In this case, I think he's a great number three. But Philly was depleted. Boston mowed him down. Toronto, on the other hand, there is major cause for concern if you're the Toronto Raptors. I mean, this is a team who I was calling for not too long ago. I believe less than a month ago, I was saying that this team is going to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals for a second straight year. Did I say they'd win it? No, I did not. But I said that they would get there. And right now, I mean, look, you can't count them out, right? There could be five games to go in the series, but it doesn't look too good. I really struggle seeing this Boston Celtics team uh, not winning two more out of the next five. I I really struggle to see that as a possibility. I don't want to crown them just yet, but I'll tell you what, the Eastern Conference Final that we deserve, that I really hope we get, is Boston-Miami. Because I know I didn't have a show prior to this Heat Bucks series, but I was on the Heat. You'll have to trust me on that one. I still am. I mean, look, the Magic won game one and then got mowed down, got embarrassed in four straight. So I could still get embarrassed here. The Heat are beating the Bucks, though. Jimmy Butler in the bubble. Bubble Butler. He is a different beast. And right now, Jimmy Butler scares me more than the Greek freak. He absolutely scares me more than Giannis right now. Giannis looks a little soft. Now, Giannis is a beast. I'm, I'm not going to trash him at all. You know, he's the MVP a year ago. You could make the argument for a repeat. I think it's LeBron this year. But did you see how Giannis got testy with reporters after that game? That shows that mentally, the Greek freak's cracking a little bit. And I'm sorry. I said it coming into this season. They had an incredible regular season. But I said coming into the year back in October, you could check the tape on that. Milwaukee is not as good as they were a year ago. I mean, no Malcolm Brogdon really hurts this team. Chris Middleton had a really good game in game one against the Heat, but he's a little too hit or miss for me. Now, that's not to say that he's not a really viable number two option, but when you don't have a Brogdon there, I mean, luckily they've got Brooke Lopez, but let's be honest, Lopez is, you know, a little long in the tooth now. I mean, this Bucks team is in trouble. This Heat team, on the other hand, is meshing. Tyler Hero, literally playing Hero in Game 1 with a late dagger. Love it. Bam Adebayo just missed Most Improved Player of the Year. By the way, while we're talking about my NBA calls in October, did I not say that Brandon Ingram was going to break out for the Pelicans? I don't know if I said verbatim that he was going to win Most Improved Player, but I was all over, and I, and I want my fucking credit for this, I was all over Brandon Ingram being a breakout star this year now that he was out of Los Angeles. 
all over that from the start. Love that. Going to take credit for that one until the day I die because Brandon Ingram, what a year he had for the Pelicans. As disappointing as the team was, as disappointing as, of course, Zion was, Brandon Ingram, absolute stud. You're not going to ever tell me otherwise. I've loved him since day one. I've stuck by him since day one. He just needed a change of scenery, was not going to be successful in Los Angeles, tearing it up in NOLA. So congrats to Brandon Ingram, but Bam Adebayo, runner up in the most improved category. Him, Tyler Hero, that's an incredible Kendrick Nunn supporting cast for a guy, Goran Dragic, for a guy like Jimmy Butler. I mean, the Heat right now are really just gelling perfectly. Eric Spolstra proving everyone wrong who said that anyone could win with a team that had LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh. Now, are, are you wrong for saying that? Absolutely not. I could coach a team with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh and win at least two rings in four years. Did those Heat teams underperform? Absolutely. Is Eric Spolstra a phenomenal coach? Absolutely. I can't wait. You know, I, I, I hate the Celtics, right? I grew up hating the Celtics. I'll admit I hate them a little less now because I just have no affection for the Knicks anymore. But... I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker, right? I hate Boston unless it's the Red Sox playing the Yankees. That's in my blood. This Celtics team, I really can't help but love them. I mean, how could you dislike Jason Tatum? How could you dislike Jalen Brown? Marcus Smart, one of those guys, you know, if if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not, you hate him. Objectively, you gotta love Marcus Smart. And Cardiac Kemba. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Everyone's talking about Kemba Walker, Cardiac... He was clutch last night, right? Did he have his best game? Absolutely not by any means. Jason Tatum was the best player in that game. Kemba Walker was clutch when it counted. I absolutely got to give him credit for that. Look, don't forget, Kemba Walker, I probably love him more than most. He was the guy I wanted the Knicks to go after last summer. I wanted the Knicks to target Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker. Wanted nothing to do with Kyrie Irving. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. They targeted Kyrie. The Nets, I think, were way worse this year than they were a season ago. Kyrie, he's just a cancer. I love Kemba Walker. Ultimate team guy. Does not have to play his best for 48 minutes. Will let his teammates do that. Will still be ready to step up a la last night when it matters most. So I love this Celtics team. And don't get me wrong, I still love this Raptors team. They're both really fun teams teams to watch. They're both made up of incredibly athletic special players, Siakam, Lowry, and Anunoby for Toronto, but they're just not gelling. In fact, Anunoby had the best game of any Raptor last night. Kyle Lowry had a very good game. Pascal Siakam? Not going to lie, he's scaring me a little bit. Siakam has not been playing his best ball in the bubble, as great as the Raptors have been. Pascal Siakam's the best player on that team. And if he doesn't step it the hell up and do it quickly, the Raptors are going home probably earlier than anticipated this fall. I guess fall, yeah, right, we're we're in the fall. I mean, it's technically summer, but it's September. Shit, we're in the fall. Still absolutely wild for me to think that the NBA season should be starting in about six weeks, and we're only in the second round of the playoffs right now. How about the NHL season? I mean, was last night ideal for my cause? No. It was not ideal for me betting the Islanders. It was not ideal for me rooting for the Islanders. It was a hell of a hockey game. It was maybe the most fun almost 80 minutes of hockey I've watched in a long time. That was a wild game. And I don't care that the Philadelphia Flyers 
won it in overtime because I'm just going to convince myself that even though it wasn't called and the right call was probably made, I'm just going to convince myself that it was a high stick and the Islanders deserve to win that game. The Islanders should have won that game and they're going to win it on Thursday night, which is fine because on Thursday night, I'm betting the Islanders again, I'm watching the Islanders again, and I'm going to be winning money while the Islanders dance all around the Philadelphia Flyers on the ice for 60 minutes en route to an Eastern Conference final against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Look, this Islander team is fun. They're scary. The Killer Bees are arguably one of the most fluid lines in the postseason right now. Most talented? Absolutely not. Chemistry-wise, though, I don't know if a team out there is meshing better than the Islanders. I mean, you look at the teams right now that are playing well. Tampa Bay, obviously, mowed down the Bruins in five games. Probably the most talented team remaining, right? The Avalanche and the Stars both have a ton of offensive firepower. The Golden Knights, probably the best team in the Western Conference. The Islanders? Chemistry. Chemistry and coaching. I mean, look, Barry Trotz has got to be the best coach in hockey. I mean, the fact that Washington let him walk, I am so glad the Islanders embarrassed the Capitals last round because the fact that they let him walk is just, you don't, you don't do that, right? Just like Lou Lamorello, you don't let him go, New Jersey. I know it was years ago, you don't let Lou Lamorello go because the Islanders between Lamorello and Barry Trotz have probably the two best hockey minds like ever born in the history of this planet in one team on Long Island. And they're probably, those two incredible hockey minds, going to hoist up the Stanley Cup in a few weeks. So don't worry about that Islander game last night. Let me worry. It was my money. I'm going to make it back Thursday night. Probably going to double what I lost on Thursday night. And all will be well and good because that's it's the Islanders. And good things happen to the Islanders. And bad things happen, hopefully, to every team from Philadelphia. And that's pretty much the narrative I'm sticking to. But before I wrap up this opening segment, before the Rocket Jared Carabas joins the show... Look, I said I was going to get back to it. That Utah Jazz-Denver Nuggets game last night, Mike Conley has had an incredible career, right? And Mike Conley is such a team-first, true point guard that it's really hard to rip on him. And as the clock's winding down, you can't fault him. Like, Rudy Gobert probably should have never passed the ball to him in the first place. You can't fault him for taking that shot. I thought that shot was going in. That had like Chris Jenkins, Villanova, UNC, uh, NCAA championship written all over it, swirls in and out. Like if Mike Conley hits that shot, which let's be honest, like he probably could not have taken a better shot in those circumstances. That was incredibly close to dropping. If he hits that, he's a hero. He missed it though. So he's not a hero. And now I have to call him out for going two of 13 from the field when Donovan Mitchell one of the best young stars in the NBA right now, who played his ass off, averaged like 38 points per game in the first six in that series, and he didn't get to take the final shot for Utah. Like, to me, that's that's just terrible. I mean, there were a lot of things that went wrong in this game. Don't get me wrong, like, you can look at this game in one of two ways. You can say that it was an incredible, old-school, tough basketball game. You could say it was boring as hell and there was no offense. Like, I'm usually the guy that loves the old school style. I'm not going to lie. Up until the fourth quarter, maybe up until halftime. Yeah, the first half was boring as hell. Like, like you can't dispute that. Third quarter, the Nuggets just stopped showing up. Like, every Nugget not named Nikola Jokic 
stop showing up. And for Utah to lose a game that the Denver Nuggets scored 80 points in is just fucking heartbreaking to me. I mean, Donovan Mitchell played his ass off. I know he had his second lowest point total and probably worst overall game because the only game he scored less, he dropped 20 and only played like 28 minutes. So tonight to score 22 in 43 minutes, I know it's probably his worst game of the series, but he played his ass off for Utah in this series. And to see them going home on a two-point Game 7 loss where Mitchell didn't even get to take the final shot is just heartbreaking. I mean, Jamal Murray, absent in the second half. Paul Millsap, absent all game long. Michael Porter Jr., I don't think he scored a single point in the second. I mean, at least Murray, I think, had like one bucket in the second half. I don't think Michael Porter Jr. scored at all in the second half. I mean, this game was literally Nikola Jokic for the final 24 minutes. It was Nikola Jokic versus the Utah Jazz. And Rudy Gobert, to his credit, went off in the second half, ended up with like 19 points, 18 rebounds. I mean, absolutely dominated the glass down the stretch. Where the hell were you in the first half, Rudy? I mean, if you just if you just like put in maybe a third of the effort that you put in in the fourth quarter in the first 24 minutes of basketball, like maybe you guys wouldn't have been down so much at halftime. Maybe you guys, I don't know, even win the game. Like everything that could have went wrong, I feel like for each team went wrong last night in that game 7, just a little more went wrong for Utah, and I hate that because to me, you look at each of these rosters Like, I don't really care, Utah Jazz, Denver Nuggets, neither of them mean a whole lot to me. Either way, the Nuggets are going to get blown out by the Clippers. The Jazz probably would have gotten blown out by the Clippers. But to see Donovan Mitchell, after what he did, not get the chance to at least go toe-to-toe with Kawhi and Paul George, that hurts. To see him at least not get the chance to miss that final shot himself or make it, That hurts because Donovan Mitchell is a superstar and we have seen superstars drop like flies in the first round of this NBA playoffs. And to me, like that's the worst part. It's been exciting. It's been fun. But to see guys like Dame Lillard, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell get eliminated in the first round when the truth is, I mean, obviously Dame did get to go against LeBron, but I want to see the Lukas and the Mitchells go against LeBron and Kawhi. Well, we got to see Luka go against Kawhi too, but... (laughs) I want to see these guys go deeper into the playoffs because these are the young stars that the NBA has to offer. These are going to be the guys that will be, you know, I mean, LeBron's getting up there in age and I love LeBron and I truthfully think that he has about four or five years left in the tank, but these are going to be the superstars, Dame Lillard, Don Mitchell, Luka Doncic for the next 10 years, which let's be honest, LeBron might have four or five great years left in the tank. He doesn't have 10. Guys like Luka, Mitchell, Lillard, These are the rising superstars in the NBA. I hate to see them eliminated so early. And Donovan Mitchell is just so damn lovable. That one hurts the most. That absolutely hurts the most, seeing the way that that game ended last night, because I was so rooting for Mitchell to overcome the Nuggets in this series. When we come back, Jared Carabas, the rocket from Barstool Sports, joins the show, so stick with us. Joe Serralo right here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. Come on, people, let's get loud. 
We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, and joining the show now. You know him from Barstool Sports starting nine pod, the section 10 pod. He's Trevor Bauer's best friend. It's the Rocket, Jared Carabas. Thanks for joining the show, man. What's going on? How are we doing? A lot better than the last time I saw you. You know, last time was yeah. Radio Row, uh, right before when we got to Miami, the day that, uh, the day that Kobe died. And uh, it's definitely better to see you now than it was then. Yeah, yeah, no, we've, uh, we've made some adjustments since Radio Row. Um, you know, we're, we're, gr- every day's a grind. Every day is a grind. We're trying to get better every single day. Once you just kind of like let go of the fact that the Red Sox are an unmitigated disaster, um, you know, then you can kind of like enjoy all the other baseball that's being played and, and have uh, no emotional ties, which is honestly nice. Yeah, no, you know, I've, I've discovered that over the past couple of years with the Mets. Like I used to be, super invested like watch you know 162 games a year that was my life from april till september and now i i don't give a shit and it's so much more fun yeah i mean like watching the mets uh i think it's one of those things where if you're if you're like a younger mets fan then maybe you're kind of in the same wavelength of like you still have a little bit of hope but then if you're like 30 30 plus like now you're kind of getting to that age where it's like i don't think i'll ever see one and then anyone that's like 40 whatever I mean like you at least got to see 86 but it's it's been a while it's been a while since 86 and you know like with the whole like 2015 World Series thing like that run like there's there's teams like the Cleveland Indians when they got to the World Series in 16 where you know you go up against the storyline like the first World Series title in 108 years for the Chicago Cubs and there's there's no shame like no one ever really brings up like three one really with the Indians. Like the Indians had a three one lead in that World Series against the Cubs, and, and they blew it. No one ever talks about them blowing that lead. They just talk about the Cubs winning the World Series. But with the Mets, it was like they basically led whatever it was like eighty percent of the innings played, and still lost in five games. Like that one. Like, if I were an Indians fan, no shame in losing to the Cubs in that World Series. Like, that was destiny. That was meant to be. But if I were a Mets fan in 15, it's like, no. Like, we were the better team in that series. So not, like, what are you talking about? What do you mean we lost in five? Not only was it, like, 80% of the innings played, but they led out of the four games that Kansas City won, the Mets led three of them in the eighth inning or later. And that just hurts. That's how well the Mets played up until uh, basically – the eighth inning, and then it just all kind of came undone. Familia came in, Don Zakuduro came on on the loudspeakers, and everything was downhill from there. It's, that was it. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. So, Red Sox, yesterday, the trade deadline, made some moves, held on to some guys. What's, what's your take on how they approached the deadline this year? Um, I mean, like, I'm one of those people that just blindly trusts Bloom because – uh, I mean, I got to sit down with the guy, not for an interview, but like I got to talk to him for like an hour uh, back in January. And you can just tell how bright this guy is and, and how uh, knowledgeable he is and, and how passionate he is about his job. So, I mean, a dude that comes from Tampa Bay, where they're working with one of the worst budgets, payrolls in Major League Baseball. And he was able to, I mean, look at what they're doing this year. Like that's, that's Heim Bloom's work, you know, like that's, that's Heim Bloom's construction going on in Tampa right now, a first place uh, raised team that's better than the Yankees. So I, I think like when he came over here, he was given essentially an impossible task of like 
hey, can you actually, uh, you know, trade the best player on the team and uh, also compete next year? Like, can you do that? And it's like, no, you can't. Like, if you're going to – if you're going to try and get under the luxury tax, which as of four o'clock yesterday, the Red Sox were able to accomplish, that was the goal all along. Um, but if, if you trade the best player and now you have the entire fan base being like, what is this guy doing? Um, that's it. That's a very tough situation to inherit. But I think the trade deadline yesterday was kind of like, you know, he's been here for six or seven months, but yesterday was really his first day on the job. Like, yes, besides like the draft, in June uh yesterday was his first day to be like all right I did what you hired me to do I I did what you asked me to do when I first got here now let me do my thing and he's going out there and and getting actual uh you know prospects for assets that would just be wasting away otherwise like you're you're gonna have uh, Kevin Pillar would have been up at the end of the year. Brandon Workman would have been up at the end of the year. Heath Hembury, I mean, like, what has he done over, like, the last few years? It's, you know, he's taking these guys and actually getting something for them, and he's not, he's not being over-aggressive because I think, you know, you saw a lot of trade rumors surrounding Christian Vasquez, and it's like, well, A, Christian Vasquez is, is an above-average catcher. He's, he's good offensively. He's a well, well above-average defensively. Uh, and he's cheap and he's under team control for the next two years or whatever it is. So like, that's a very valuable asset. And the thing about that is that you don't have to trade him right now because he has years of control after this. So I, I like the fact that he held on to him because that means he thinks that he can maximize his value maybe in a deal this winter. Like if you're reaching out to teams that are interested in Vasquez now, it's like, all right, cool. I know that you're interested now, which means that we can, we can circle back on this conversation later and maybe I can actually get more out of you later because we're going to have more time to discuss this over an entire offseason versus like, oh, the deadline's in three hours. Let's, let's throw something against the wall and hope that it's a good trade. Now, what about Jackie Bradley Jr. not moving him? He's up at the end of the year. Did that surprise you? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know that I was surprised. Like I had that more at like 50-50 just because – I think I saw the Indians were interested in Jackie Bradley and there wasn't much else in terms of like teams being named. So I was like, all right, if his market is down to one team and that team is kind of busy elsewhere, like with the Clevenger stuff, I was like, I don't know how far along those talks are going to get when the Indians are going to be very much like, you know, we're focused on maximizing our return for uh, Mike Clevenger, which they did. Um, but with Jackie, it's like, you know, you, you're not going to just hand him over. Like, that's not like a player where it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll get a player to be named later for Jackie. It's like, no, like you can, you can get something for Jackie and you don't want to set the precedent that you're just here giving away players like in the future. Um, and I also kind of take that as a sign where you you look at the free agent market at the end of the year and it's George Springer is probably the best outfielder out there. And then after that, you could put Jackie Bradley like right in that second tier. So I don't know that Jackie Bradley's Red Sox days are over after the season is over. I think it's more just like, does Jackie want to come back? Because if the Red Sox don't want to pay George Springer, whatever he's going to ask for, then of course you're going to entertain the possibility of bringing back Jackie Bradley. But it's like, 
does Jackie want to come back? Because I feel like that, um, you know, the, the racial injustice stuff, uh, I would, in a market like Boston, like Boston having the reputation that it does, and also being the only black player on the team and it being a, a big market for sports media, I don't know that anytime like some sort of incident happens that I would like, I would want to be the front facing spokesperson for black baseball players because I'm the only black player on the team. I'm in a, I'm in a market that's a big sports market and it also has a reputation there. So like I would want to be just be like, you know what, where can I go where I can just play baseball? Like where can I go where I can just be one of the guys, like, you know, how the Brewers handled it, where it was just like, hey, like, this happened in our backyard. We as a team are going to protest and sit out tonight. Like, we're not playing as a team tonight. Where it happened with the Red Sox, like, Jackie was like, well, I'm not playing. And then the Red Sox were like, oh, do we play? Uh, I don't know. And then, then they, they ultimately as a team didn't play. Uh, but it was a pretty – like, they didn't – have someone like Lorenzo Kane opted out, but it's like they didn't have someone being like, I'm, I'm a black player on this team, so I'm going to take all the questions moving forward. Um, so I, I don't know. If I were Jackie, I would, I would not blame him for a single second if the Red Sox made him the best offer and he still went somewhere else because he's just all Bostoned out. Like that, I would not blame him at all. I, I like that take a lot. That's not something that you hear a lot from a fan – the ability right there to just put yourself in his shoes and yeah. kick baseball aside. I really respect it. You touched a lot on this stuff in your last episode, I believe of starting nine. Yeah. Uh, you and Dallas did. And I really appreciated what you said in that episode about not coming out immediately with the brash reaction, but taking your time yep. to say what you mean and to say what you know you think ultimately is right. Do you mm -hmm. think baseball is doing enough right now? A lot of teams sat out last week. The Mets and Marlins sat out. The Brewers of course started it. Is Major League Baseball doing enough right now for the black community? Um, I mean, I don't know about like the like I don't know what more the league itself can do, but I think as far from like a player perspective, I think they are doing everything that they can because um, I th I feel like all too often, like stuff like this will happen, and everyone will be outraged for like a week. And then we all move on and life goes on and then everyone forgets about it. And then they're outraged by like the next thing that happens. And, and that might not even be like a racial injustice thing. Like it just, there's always like the story of the day or the story of the week where people react to it. Um, but after the George Floyd thing, I mean, you've seen major league baseball players when they're taking batting practice before every single game, They'll, you know, Justice Now t-shirts, Black Lives Matter t-shirts, like the, the narrative and the campaign for equality uh, hasn't ended for what their job is and what is expected of them and them as people. A lot of them have done about as much as they can for what they are in this world. You know, when stuff like this crosses over into sports, it's something that we're not going to hide from. And um, you know, obviously this happens a lot where it doesn't necessarily make its way into sports, but when it does and you see these players reacting and teams reacting and fans reacting, now that's in our jurisdiction and we're going to talk about it. And, and we want to, you know, be an ally and, and help out where we can. 
Yeah, and I love it. By the way, I love the dynamic between you and Dallas. Obviously, now you guys have plenty of episodes under your belt. What was that like at first when you guys uh, partnered up to do the show together? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it was cool for me because uh, it felt like a step up. Like, it felt like I graduated because, you know, I had been doing Section 10 um, with Pete and Steve. Um, and then Coley came into the mix. And, you know, that, that just felt like a few of us podcasts. And then uh, Dallas leaves ESPN. And we're like, we need to get this guy. And, um, you know, it just felt, it felt cool because, you know, I had, I had a meeting with Dave Portnoy. And he was like, all right, Section 10 is great and all, but we need, we need a national baseball podcast. And I was like, okay, um, you know, who am I doing this with? Like, I don't think anyone else in the office can really hang with me in terms of, like, all 30 teams, like, all the storylines. I was like, I don't want to half-ass this. He was like, well, who do you want? And it was right after the ESPN layoffs. Dallas on, I think it was Baseball Tonight, like, they were going over like how well Clay Buckholz had been pitching and uh, he called him, he dropped a clay drill on the air. And I was like, all right. So like this guy is familiar with my stuff and he, he's obviously not one of those anti barstool guys. Cause there's a lot of those in baseball. Yeah. Um, Same guys yeah. that have a problem with the Tatis grand slam, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So he's, he's familiar with, with what, my, what I'm working with. And you know, he's, he's cool enough with barstool. He'll shout out one of the names on the air. So we reached out and I had him as a, as a guest on section 10, which was basically his starting nine tryout. Like we just wanted to talk baseball and see what the chemistry was like. And we hit it off and I, and I went back to Dave. I was like, this is the guy. And uh, he actually, our producer slash third mic on starting nine, Justin Havens, Jay Hay, he was the producer of baseball tonight and also a childhood friend of KFC. So he had barstool ties, he had Dallas ties, and he had baseball producing ties. So Dallas and I were like, this is the guy that we want to produce this show. So we plucked Jay Hay from ESPN. We got uh, Dallas out of the unemployment line, and then we put it all together, and, and we've been doing it ever since. But it's really cool when we're doing like the spring training tours and we're going to like interview all these players. It's like Dallas changes the dynamic because he is a former big leaguer. So he's in the fraternity, but he also threw a perfect game. And when you're talking to pitchers, like they're like, Oh shit. Like this is one of the, you know, however many guys that have thrown a perfect game in major league baseball history. So like that means something to them. So like they get it where, you know, they, like they think I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm safe here because I can be myself with these guys and they're not going to grill me. And I know I'm with a former big leaguer. So I know that he's not going to press me in a way that a player wouldn't like to be pressed. And I'm with Jared who I know just dicks around and likes to have fun. So we kind of like between the two of us, we create a space where professional baseball players feel the most comfortable, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you guys definitely maximize the most out of your guests, which I think is what makes it a great pod. You know, you can have anyone, any two guys sitting around talking about the issues, and not every episode has a guest. Sometimes it's you guys, and it's still a great episode. But I think that's what separates, obviously, the legitimacy and the quality of most podcasts is who are you bringing on, and what are you getting out of them? And you guys really crush it in that aspect. I kind of want to backtrack to something that we talked about briefly at the beginning of the show, 
uh, the day that you and I met Jared down in Miami at the airport, right after Kobe died. When I emailed you to have you on, I jogged your memory, sent you the picture that we took. And you actually said that it surprised you out of everyone that you were with that my then co-host Isaiah and myself wanted a picture with you. Yeah, I think I was with like Casey and KFC and you guys asked me for a picture and we were there for the Super Bowl. So it was like a football event and I was with like the football guy, Big Cat. So the entire time I was down there, I was like, this is great. Like no one's going to. No one's going to recognize me. I can just like walk around, be like a random like weirdo walking around Miami. And then you guys asked me for a picture. Yes, I would love to. Dan, I'll catch up with you in a little bit. You guys, you guys are going to get a cab? All right, cool. I'll see you in a little bit. Um, yeah, no, that, that put a, a little pep in my step to start the week for uh, the Super Bowl. Dude, I'm thrilled we were able to do that for you because it, it was such a wild <laughs> yeah. day, obviously. We're on the flight down, right? And then that's when the news breaks that Kobe and uh, his daughter and seven others died mm -hmm. in that helicopter crash. And my producer, mm -hmm. Steve, who was my roommate in college, um, he ran the radio station. I ran the sports department. We had gone to the last three Super Bowls together. He leans over across the aisle on the plane and he's like, dude, Kobe died. And Steve, I don't take a thing he says seriously. So I'm like, why the fuck would you joke like that? Like for right. a good 10 minutes, I'm like, Steve, stop dicking around. Like, that's not funny. And then I turn my phone off airplane mode and I go on Twitter and I'm like, oh crap. Like, you know? Yeah. So that just ruined everyone's day. Right. I mean, Isaiah, my old co-host, his dad is a Sherrod Blakely who you probably. Oh, know. really? Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. He's the fucking man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. uh, so Isaiah's, you know, the NBA is, it runs in his blood literally. So that just like ruined our day. And then we saw you guys at the airport and we were like, all right, this is going to be the laugh that we need. And it was so mm -hmm. funny. The only thing I could think to say normally, like, I've interviewed over like 200 guests between the last like three radio rows. I don't get starstruck easily. And the only thing I could say when we saw you guys coming was stay hot. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like did that really just come out of my fucking mouth? Hell yeah. Where yeah. did that come from? Where did stay hot rocket come from? Um, so I didn't even know the answer to this until very recently uh, because they did like, like Trista did a documentary on stay hot rocket, like the origin of it. And they went back to the first, the first time I ever tweeted it. It must have been when I was sitting behind home plate at Yankee Stadium. And it was Chris Sale was on the mound for the Red Sox. And he struck out like 13 dudes. And I was sitting behind home plate with Marlins man. And for every single strikeout that he did, I was doing like a strikeout call. And uh, I texted Dave. And I was like, how would you grade my strikeout call? And I think he graded it like a nine point something. <laughs> it, like, it was very high. And uh, so I tweeted the screenshot of Dave saying that like my strikeout call was great. And I just said, stay hot, Rocket. Because like Rocket had been a nickname for like a little bit during 2018. This, was the, this game was also the summer of 2018. Um, so like the Rocket nickname was very new. And then I don't know why I said stay hot, Rocket, but – I'd said it that one time and then it just kind of like became a thing. So I gave myself my own nickname and I gave myself my own catchphrase, which I mean, if, if you think about it, I'm sure the rock, the rock probably came up with the rock and the rock probably came up with, if you smell what the rock is cooking. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I, I can't see a problem with that. Actually, I think it's pretty fucking baller if we're being honest. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, like to be able to give yourself your own nickname that 
is a nickname that is pretty badass and it sticks. Like it's very, very hard to be like, hey, attention world. Uh, I have a nickname now. It's very cool. You're going to like it. I love it. So everyone call me that. And then actually have that workout is great. So like whenever I go to Fenway, I probably, which is, which is amazing because one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say Carabas because Dave doesn't know how to pronounce my last name. So like he calls me Carabas and then people will be like, Oh, his last name's Carabas. And it's like, no, it's Carabas. And instead of like having to correct people. Cause like when you, when you have, when people come up to me and they're like, Oh, what's up Carabas. And they say it right. I'm like, Oh, they, they must listen to the podcast. Yeah. Because if you listen to the podcast, you know how to say it. If you don't like, that's how I know when people are lying, they're like, Hey, what's up? Oh, what's up Carabas. I love the podcast. It's like, no, you don't. You're like, there's, <laughs> there's no fucking way that you wouldn't know how to say my last name if you listen to the podcast. Um, so now to avoid the Carabas Carabas dilemma, I would say when I'm out and about at like a ballpark somewhere, 95% of the people call me Rocket. Like no one, they don't say Jared anymore. They don't can't say miss, Carabas. Yeah, yeah. So like that way, uh, it's crazy how quickly like my brain like adapted to it. Like when you would hear your own name, it's like, yeah. Like if you hear, if you hear someone like talking quietly about your name, it's like, you're going to hear it and you're going to have like rabbit ears that I get that way with, with rocket now, which it happened very quickly, but it, honestly, like it's great. And you just hear people like, Oh my God, it's rocket. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. Rocket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is the most bizarre, uh, barstool storyline that I think I've been a part of, but, um, it has helped significantly when, you know, people don't know how to pronounce my last name or, you know, you're at a bar and there's girls there and they don't know who you are, but they hear people calling you rocket. And they're like, who the fuck is that? Like what? That that must be a pretty hot guy. Like if his name is rocket and other guys are fangirling over him, like I probably want to go home with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they're like, Oh shit. Like they're calling him the rocket and they know who this guy is. Like they're not even calling his real name. Like I got to find out more information about this individual. They also probably don't know what rocket's referring to if they don't know anything about you. Honestly, I don't even know what it's referring to anymore. (laughs) I really don't like I have no clue that's amazing so when it comes to girls right because let's let's talk about girls we are men after all we are chicks dig you like and like it's all over Twitter Mm -hmm. how hard is it to stay married to the game when you know you have girls that will throw themselves at you um it's honestly not that hard because I was actually talking about this the other day I am obsessed with my job like you don't have to like, I'm a self starter. I'm a self motivator. Like I wake up in the morning and I just go and I go until I'm tired to go to bed. Like I, I would say like my day probably starts at like 10 AM, which really, really it'll start at nine, like nine. I'll wake up at like nine and then I'll open my phone immediately. I'll read every single mention that I got on Twitter while I was sleeping. I'll check Instagram. Um, I'll like look at like Snapchat or whatever. And then I'll look at Reddit. There's a starting nine Reddit. There's a section 10 Reddit. There's a barstool Reddit. Like I'll catch, like I want to see everything before I get out of bed. Um, so I'll catch up on all that. And then 10 is probably when I will get up and start my day. And then that goes all day, all night until about 2 AM. Like I'll do like morning wood. So like I'll get hit on or whatever, but I will just be straight up with them and be like, Hey, listen, 
you don't want anything to do with me because <laughs> like I am, a, I would be a nightmare to date. If I were you, I would want nothing to do with dating someone like me because I will never prioritize something over my job because like the way that I look at it, I have like a winning lottery ticket. Like, I don't think, like, I think I'm good at what I do, but I think there's definitely people out there that could be as good, if not better than me, if they had had the same opportunity. I'm just the one that got the opportunity and I'm running with that. Like I, I am taking full advantage of the fact that I got picked. I mean, I, it's not like, it's not like I actually won a lottery and got randomly selected. It's your work got recognized. Yeah, like I worked my ass off yeah. to get recognized, but a lot of people work their ass off and never get recognized. So in a sense, that's how like, I kind of view it. And I think that now, you know, it's grown so much over the last two or three years where there's a chance to say like, hey, I'm, I could be the best in the world at the thing that I work the hardest at. Like if I have the chance to like knock on the door of being able to say that, then like, let's keep fucking going. Like, let's keep pushing. Like, why, why would you get to a point where you could legitimately say like, Hey, uh, in terms of like baseball content creators, um, you got a chance to be like the goat of that and be okay with like, you know what? I'm just happy to be in the conversation. So I'm going to take the foot off the gas. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like, kind of like keep doing what I'm doing, but like, hopefully like I can scale back a little bit and whatever. And it's like, no, like now that we're on the doorstep of that, it's like, all right, let's fucking kick the door down. Like, like, like how do we do more? Like, how do we like maximize the fact that we have this much attention and the fact that we've built up like a loyal audience that like enjoys what we do so like, let's give them more. And like, that's, that's, that's what I've done this year. It was like, all right, we got starting nine. We got section 10. We got CCK. Um, let's, let's fucking do a daily video show because like, you know, the whole thing every single night, like I'm tweeting games, like highlights from every single game. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so I'm building up this Twitter following and it just passed 300,000. And it's like, how do we, Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's like, are, are how you do we have uh, Bauer yet? Or are you guys neck and neck? No, he, he pulled away big time. Oh. Cause like he's, once he starts like tweeting at Rob Manfred, then everyone eats that <laughs> stuff up. Like he knows how to play the game now. He's I, I've, I've trained him well. Um, but it's like, all right, so you have this like big Twitter audience. Like how do we use that? You know, like it's just kind of sitting there. Like how do we use that? So it's like, all right, let's come out with a daily video show that we can share on Twitter. It's like, all right, done deal. So me, Dallas, uh, Hubs, and then sometimes like the Chicago guys, sometimes uh, the Mets guys like Kevin and Clem will do it. And we do it every day. And it's like now, uh, because that shows every day, I wait until the games are over at 1.30, sometimes like two o'clock in the morning. And then I start filming because they have to be submitted by 7 a.m. And you know, I'm not getting up at six. Um, and then like, that's, that's been a success. But it's also like, all right, how do we do more? Like some people will ask me for like gambling picks. And I was like, all right, if people are going to come to me for baseball picks, let's do a fucking baseball gambling show. Done. So like now that's in the works. And it's like, I always want to do more, which to circle back to the main question is like, would I like to have like a significant other? Sure. I think that would be great. Um, But like it would have to be someone that's 
either in the same industry that like gets it or just like someone that's just super understanding in general to be like, Hey, like I know that you're super busy, like all the time. Uh, but there is an off season and an, in an on season. So it's like a, it is a give and take where once November rolls around, like you have, you have my attention until like mid February when we, when we, when we go, go to Arizona, hey, go, um, uh, go take some like Christmas card pictures, you know, Valentine's yeah. day and then back to baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like in society is you, you get to your thirties, you find someone, you settle down, you get married, you have kids. And it's like, I haven't found someone that like makes me want to take my foot off the gas for this. Like I think, not even like Christian Yelich. I would, I would take my foot off the gas for Christian Yelich. Yeah. He's uh he's very, he's a very handsome individual. Yeah. Probably my favorite person ever to interview just because like, I mean, like we're friends outside of like the media thing. So like we can, we can sit down and if you give us two microphones, like we can bullshit for like three hours and it'll be like interesting. But um, yeah, I, I would say that I am honest and upfront. And if someone does show interest in me, I'll be like, don't, <laughs> you're making a mistake. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned Yelich being like one of your best friends, figures like him, Bauer. What's it like when, these business relationships when they go from being just like guests on your show to actually being close friends. What's that like for you? It's, it's weird, but it's like, it's still like so many people have been like, Oh, like, so, you know, be careful. Like when you, when you accept, when you cross that line from just being a fan to it being your job, like, I hope you're ready for that moment where it hits you and it feels like just a job and you're not a fan anymore. I've been doing this for fucking 13, 14 years. I'm the biggest fan that I've ever been in my life now. I'm 31. And like, I have evolved into like an all 30 team baseball fan where obviously I love the Red Sox. I watch every single Red Sox game, but I mean, I'm sitting in my loft right now where I've got like the six TV set up and I watch every game every night. Like I fucking, I love it. Like there's, there is a player on every single team that I can sit there and get invested in that game because that guy's playing. And I understand that like, like my baseball fan experience is probably unlike anyone else's in the world because a, like your average fan isn't going to have six TVs that they can. Cause like when people say baseball is boring, it's like, I get it. Like a guy throws a pitch and you're going to have to wait 90 seconds to two minutes to see another one. Um, but if someone throws a pitch, I can just look at another screen. It's like that guy threw a pitch. All right. That threw now that pitch. And it's like, like, there's nonstop action. So like in that sense, like my attention span is satisfied. And also the cool thing is like, all right. So fucking yesterday, Tyler Glasnow brings a no hitter into the sixth inning, which we love um, to see, especially against the Yankees. We do love to see that. We love to see that. So uh, Glasnow takes the no-hitter into the sixth inning. Tampa Bay wins. Like, immediately after the game is over, I can send a text to Tyler Glasnow and be like, fuck yeah. Like, that was <laughs> sick. Like, how fucking sweet did that feel? And then they love it. Like, they love getting, like, hyped up like that. And I love the fact that they love that. Yeah. So, like, we kind of just, like, feed off each other. And you have these guys on your podcast but to be able to show that you care about them as human beings beyond just like, it's very valuable to me to come on the podcast, but 
when, you know, times are rough, like I still got your back. Like I'm not going to abandon you. Like Zach, please Zach dude gets uh, exiled by the Cleveland Indians. You reach out to that guy and be like, Hey man, keep your fucking head up. Like when you get back just shove it up their ass, like give them a pep talk, like stuff like that. And uh, like Bregman, Bregman goes on the injured list. Hey man, like hope you fucking get back here soon. Like hope you feel better. Like to be able to have that, you know, direct connection to the players. I mean, you could make the case that no one else on the planet has that. Yeah. And then please like, by the way, starts tonight, right? Isn't he making a return tonight? Yeah. Yes. So he's back. And uh, yeah, to just be able to have this like network of guys that, you know, you have the, the professional relationship with because they've been on your show, but then also just to have that personal relationship where, you know that they can vent to you and they know for a 100% certainty that like that conversation isn't going anywhere and that you genuinely do care about them as human beings, not just baseball players or public figures. Um, Like that's, that's honestly like one of the coolest parts about the job is like building those relationships and like maintaining them after, you know, you you have them on for the first time and then you, you, you know, you keep in touch and, it's just, it's really fucking cool. Yeah. And like you said, it makes you more of a fan. Yeah. You know, and people have told me the same thing that they told you about, you know, becoming a professional in the industry, you lose your fandom. I was interning at Sirius last summer and some of the guys who were incredible there that I worked for were like, oh yeah, you only care about the storyline. You don't care about the team anymore. And I'm like, you know, you can have that happy medium. Like you can find that balance for sure. You know, I'm still a Mets yeah. fan but I can still also go out here and make fun of the Mets and talk about, you know, how shitty it is being a Met fan because the storyline is that our general manager sucks. Our owners are cheap and it's a disaster every year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like for sure. And I mean like being a Mets fan, it's not like, it's not like a decision that you make where it's like, all right, I've reached a level in my professional career or I've reached a certain age where I don't care as much. Like being a Mets fan is a disease. Like it's in your blood. There's nothing you can do to get rid of it. And I think it's, it's very similar to like the Red Sox and like, there's a lot of like big market teams like that where, you know, you can say like, Oh, I've, I've, I'm a certain age now. Like I got like a wife and kids. So like, I can't really be like cheering for a baseball team. And it's like, well, I I think you can definitely evolve as a fan where I think it's, I think what is different for me or what has changed for me since it became a job is uh, the dynamic of it being weird when like I've, I still love the Red Sox. I will always love the Red Sox, but when you get close to them and you start to like know the players, then it's like, eh, I don't know if I can really get excited for that guy doing well. Cause like, I don't really like that guy, you know, <laughs> like, like there's guys where you just like, you know, you get to know them as people and you're like, Oh, that sucks that you're on my favorite team because like, I want you to do well because I want to win, but like, I don't want you to do well because you're an asshole. So are we going to get a name drop here or is that off limits? I mean, like Pablo was one of those guys for sure. Where like beyond just him sucking, like the stuff that people were telling me about him, like behind the scenes, I was like, so this guy, he's not like the fun loving Panda that they were marketing you in San Francisco. Like he's, he's not that guy. So when he was, if you want to go back some years. Yeah. I mean like Schilling, uh, he's just crazy. Yeah, he's a, he's a crazy person, and and he, you know he's one of those dudes that refuses to keep his opinion to himself. And more power to him. I mean, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you also have to accept that 
people aren't going to like that, and I don't think he cares. So it is what it is. In that sense, yeah, 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 a little bit in that sense. I think Kurt's a little more like less unhinged, although he (laughs) hinged. He's just less unhinged than Aubrey Huff, which I don't know if that's much of a compliment, but um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely that element where once you get too close to the situation, it for someone like me where my job isn't to actually be a reporter. Like we're not reporting things like you're not going to read my blogs or listen to my podcast for like hard hitting analysis. Like we're more entertainment based. So, you know, a season like 2018, everything's great. They went 108 games. You're super close to everyone on the team. And then 2019, they're super disappointing and you want to call out certain individuals, but you also don't want to burn that bridge. You know, so um, it is it is uh, a game that you play where you have to navigate the waters of managing and maintaining relationships because the, I guess, stability of these relationships are more important than like putting out a blog where you're just absolutely thrashing some dude for having three bad starts in a row. You know what I mean? No, Absolutely. Look, I know you have to record starting nine in a few minutes, right? No, we did it last night. Oh, so you're done. You're good. All right, awesome. Well, I was going to, you know, rush you out of here. But I yeah. guess in that case, I've been waiting to ask this question. If you're done being married to the game, mm-hmm. which player are you taking out to be your wingman? Ooh, damn, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, who would I take out to be my wingman? I mean, like, some of them have already been wingmen. <laughs> uh, so who so far has been the most effective wingman? Um, Bregman's a good wingman. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, he, he's now engaged, and his fiance has some pretty hot friends. So I would say if I had to pick someone – and, like, Bregman and I have uh, similar, you know, personalities. You know, we like to – we have similar sense of humor. We have similar ways of looking at things. And, uh, yeah, I would say, I would, you know, if I'm going to pick a wingman, it's going to be Bregman. There you, go. you know, I, I thought that that was going to be an easier question because I was expecting you to go Yelich right away. So Yelich was my number two. Okay. Um, I feel like the problem yeah. with him, though, is, like, he's such a good-looking dude. That's and, it. So yeah. I, that's, the, that's the reason why I didn't go Yelich is because, A, he's better-looking than me. He's significantly taller than me. So, like, I'm going Bregman because uh, we're around the same height and I'm better looking than him. So, like, if we're out, it's like, yeah, like, I'm definitely going to get the hotter girl and I know that you'll hype me up and I'll hype him up as well. Uh, but Yelich, I mean, Yelich could model. I mean, he did. He did the he ESPN, did the body. The body history, yeah. I mean. yeah, so, um, no, I've, I've been out with Yelich a couple times and it's like no no and also you know who would be a fucking a great wingman but i would run into the same issue as yelich is glasnow yeah he's a good looking dude he's gorgeous (laughs) tyler glasnow is a significantly above average looking human being Uh, but he's also i think he's like six six maybe six six and a, a a solid 10 um but but we do hype each other up as well. So I think that that would be something where he would bring like, 
like if if Tyler and I went out, the group of girls would be there because of him, and then I would just have to go for one of the girls that he didn't pick first. Yeah, like, like, right, like you three are going home with Tyler, so like yeah, yeah, I'll take number four. Yeah, yeah, he would have uh, the first, second, and third pick in the draft, and then I would have <laughs> I would be happy with the fourth pick, and you know we'll take it. Sometimes you get a lineman there. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Which, which cities are the most fun when you, when you go out, visit your guys? Obviously, you know, these guys are still playing, so I, I can't yeah. take on you telling me all the stories of what they've done, but which cities are the most fun to go out and visit and enjoy the nightlife? <sighs> um, Denver, honestly, was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I had an awesome time in Denver. Did uh, any of the Rockies go out with you? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't see any of them away from the field. Okay. Cleveland – was the best (laughs) so i'm wearing the indian shirt right now yeah i've been to cleveland like three times um actually drove there uh for what was i sophomore in college indians yankees uh alds game five Mm. yep just to root but that's how much i hate the yankees i drove from college in one day (laughs) eight hour round trip just to root against the yankees in the play i i love that level of pettiness sat in the last row behind home plate upper deck last row uh, wore an Indian shirt with a Mets jersey over it and just <laughs> heckled CC from the last row in the stadium all game. Uh, that's amazing. I mean, like, having that type of hate in your heart is, a, is something that you can't teach whatsoever. <laughs> but Cleveland was awesome. I had a fucking awesome time in Cleveland for the All-Star game. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of my uh, out with Yelich nights where it was like, there was like a VIP section of me, Mustakis, Clev, Lindor, JD Martinez, Yelich, Napoli. Okay. Uh, and I forget. I think I'm forgetting. Oh, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fucking awesome. Like so that like was eight All-Star baseball players, and then you <laughs> and Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, and some of, like, the – not Scott Boris, but some of, like, the people underneath him, they were there. Um, yeah, no, that was fucking amazing. That was one of the coolest nights of my life. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, that was a good time. Cleveland, um, trying to think of, like, where else I've gone out. Like, a lot of places, it's like, I'll go to the city, and, I mean, Chicago is cool. Dallas uh, is great if you're ever uh, in Arlington. I've been, to, I've been to Dallas, like, three times, but not – recently it's been a while since i've been to dallas okay toronto uh, great nightlife i haven't been to toronto yet i i was supposed to go last year uh for the fourth of july but it was after the london series and we had we had booked the london trip and then we were going to go from london and follow the red sox to toronto but we had to cancel the london trip because it was like twenty thousand dollars and then we canceled Toronto because the Red Sox got the shit kicked out of them. And we were like, they're not going to want to do anything with us in Toronto. So like, why go all the way there when we can just like enjoy the holiday to, to ourselves or whatever. Um, so Toronto is very, very, very high on my list of places that I want to go. San Diego. I had a blast uh, at the winter meetings. Okay. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. That. Yeah. So like the winter meetings, it was like, you know, you're, you're like getting hammered with agents and 
managers and players that are like showing up that are free agents being like, Hey, I remember me. I still play baseball. Like they're still trying to like get jobs, but obviously they can still throw down. Um, so yeah, San Diego was an above average time. I would say at the winter meetings. Yeah. I mean, that, that's amazing. Being, now you and I actually unpopular opinion. We both like Cleveland, but imagine yeah. being Mike Clevenger and like just totally outcasted by Cleveland, you know, selfish. You did this, you did that. And then what's your punishment? You get traded to fucking San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Get the fuck out of here and go to the best city in the country to a team that's like a World Series favorite or a yeah. contender. That's like, like get Charlie out of Sheen here. winning right there. Just yeah. Like. That'll, that'll teach you. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, is weed legal there? Probably is. In California, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the dude is living the absolute dream right now. It's, it, does, it does not get better than that. Like, you've got Machado, Tatis, Hosmer, Mitchie, two bags in the lineup. Uh-huh. Yep. And now he's just got to go out there and throw darts with Paddock and, mm-hmm. and go win it all. Are they, by the way, like, with the Sox, you know, being out of it since pretty much, like, August 1st, are they kind of your rental team for 2020, the Padres? Because I'm seeing a lot of content on your Yeah, team. I mean, like, I love Tatis and I love Don Arcillo. Um, and I, now I, I obviously love Clove. Um, I was – soured by the Padres fan experience that I've had on Twitter. So are they dicks, huh? Yeah. So like they hate Barstool. And um, so like I was putting out like t-shirts that said slam Diego on it and uh, a Tatis t-shirt that said face a baseball on it. And like Padres fans were like, fuck you. Like we don't want you here. Like, your barstool trash, like fuck your website, fuck you for trying to like, like make money off our fan base. And I'm like sitting there being like, dude, no one has given a single fuck about the Padres like ever since like since '94, yeah, like '96, like when when Tony Gwynn was there. It's like no one has given a fuck about you guys. And I have a national platform where I'm giving you guys attention and putting out merch that like. I would wear like I'm like it would be different if I was like half-assing it and being like hey this shirt sucks but like buy it so that we can make money off you it's like yeah. I, I make shirts that I want to wear and if you want to wear it too great here's where you buy it like the Tati shirt is sick and they were like you're just trying to make money off our fan base and fuck Barstool and this and that and I was like first of all and they were like, buy local. Here's, here's like these t-shirts from like vendors. Wait, the shirts weren't Diego. organic enough for them out in San Diego? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were like, buy from real Padres fans that have actually been through the tough years and not the people that swing in now that we're popular. And I was like, first of all, dude, um, we have a deal with the Major League Baseball Players Association. So like all you dudes that are making Tatis shirts, I, I want to see the, the cut that you're giving to Tatis because like we're giving a cut to the Players Association uh, where's the cut for, for your, from your merch? Um, and, and the other thing when they're like, yeah, fuck barstool, like get out of here and whatever. I'm like, you hate barstool for reasons that quite simply have nothing to do with me. Like if you, if your stance is that you want me to get out of here because of something that I said, or I did first say what that is, if you can't, which I know that you cannot, then, then we'll have that discussion. But if you're going to tell me to kick rocks because of, like, things that, like, Dave and whoever else said in the past, like, fuck you, dude. So um, I don't care. Like, I, 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 it's not like I – I still watch all the Padres games, and I hope that they do well because they are exciting. 
And there are players on there that I absolutely love. But, like, as far as Padres fans go, there are a lot of Padres fans that are like, hey, ignore them. Like, they suck, and they're just, like, they're miserable pricks. And a lot of Padres fans were, like, kind of showing some love. But, like, there were a lot of Padres fans that were telling me to fuck off just because of where I worked. And I was like, okay, fine. That's wild. I I would not expect that from them. Yeah. Like, I mean, you think San Diego is like the most laid back place, like San Diego and Denver, probably the two most laid back cities. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. It's actually crazy. So what about Cincinnati? Are you, you're like a huge Reds guy too. Obviously they're not as good mm-hmm. as San Diego. Mm-hmm. Is their pitching staff now, like maybe not the most talented, but the most intimidating now that they got Archie Bradley <laughs> to go with Bauer, Amir Garrett will fuck anyone up. Yeah, he will. Um, I used to watch still... play college hoops, by the way, St. John's. I used to go to a ton of games on um, yeah. Long Island and he was, like, amazing in college, like, playing basketball. Now watching him, like, fight the entire Pirates. Right. Yeah, we talked to him about, like, his, like, basketball career, too. And, he, yeah, he's, he's a straight-up athlete, that guy. Um, but I would still say, like, most intimidating pitching staff has to be the Dodgers. Like, you don't want Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Dustin and May. Dustin May. Like, that dude is incredible. Like, the fact that – he was kind of like a backup plan. Like he wasn't even on like the opening day roster is insane. Like he's, he's throwing like 98 mile an hour, two seamers. And then like you get into the bullpen, they've just got power arms for days. Um, you got your boy Kelly. Yeah. I mean, he's an absolute lunatic. So um, yeah, I, I think I'd still go Dodgers, but like Sonny Gray, Luis, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, like those guys are a legit three headed monster. And I know that like Castillo hasn't been, as good as I think he can be. Like, I still think that, like, we haven't seen nearly the best of Luis Castillo yet. Like, that dude, I feel like is one of these years we're going to see breakout Luis Castillo because it's he's his stuff is too good to not kind of, like, be doing what, like, Shane Bieber is doing right now, where it's, like, lead the league in ERA, like a sub-two ERA, lead the league in strikeouts and be heads and shoulders above everyone else in that category. Like what Bieber is doing right now, I feel like Castillo is capable of doing that with like, he fucking, he blows a hundred and his changeup is like 10 to 12 miles an hour off of his fastball. Like he has one of the best changeups I've ever seen. So I don't think that he's like quite there yet, but like he is at the same time. Because it's like you, you don't need his stuff to develop. It's more just like learning how to pitch with his stuff. And he showed it last year for the majority of the season that yeah. he could be elite. I definitely agree on that take. Changeup, probably it's tough to it's tough to surely say this, but I would say it's the best changeup in baseball. It's him and Strasburg. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right like now, that, the, the best changeup that's healthy in baseball. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's wild. You brought up the Dodgers, so I'll end on this. Joe Kelly, I, I touched on this on an episode a couple weeks ago. <laughs> what he did in the offseason, when he sent that ball through the window, put the video out, was that premeditated so people would think he had control issues when he went after the Astros? I would say it would be a nice theory. It's, it's a great piece of evidence if you were to bring that to the table in, in his appeal when he went from eight games to five games. I feel like he could have gotten it down to two games. How about zero games? Just, just be like, see, I have no control anymore. None. I just entered a window in my house. Why would I do that? But I don't think – Joe Kelly needs to plant videos to demonstrate that he has no control. Like Joe Kelly just straight up has no control and he'll be the first to tell you that. 
And uh, I think he's, he's said it several times where he's like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of times where I'm out there and I just simply have no idea where my fastball is going. And I believe him. I believe him. I mean, yeah. like, he, he throws that like two seamer that has like, you know, that, that right to left run on like a left-handed hitter that'll just eat them up. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's very rare that Joe Kelly would describe himself as a pitcher that has command. And that's fair. I, that's almost Joe Kelly's almost as great as your overuse of that meme. Yes. You were just, and I'm never going to stop everyone. Yeah. I'm never going to stop. Like that's because it just plays like it's, it's never going to be, it's never going to be something that's outdated. It's never going to be something that won't get a laugh at least somewhere. And it's just the perfect response because if someone also someone like me that gets a lot of whiny ass people and their Twitter mentions where like I could, if I wanted to, I could debate you and just completely undress you and make you look like an asshole. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Or I could just send you this meme and just go about my business knowing that like my actual followers know that I can do that to you. Yeah. I just am deeming you not worth my time. So I'm just going to give you the frowny face and keep it moving. And it makes them so much angrier than if you actually undress them. Correct. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Jared, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciate your time, man. And as always, stay hot. That's right, baby. I appreciate you having me. Uh, we got to do this again. I, I mean, I, I feel like I owe you an, uh, another hour because... <laughs> because I fucked up the last time that we tried to do this. But, uh, yeah, anytime you want me, you got me. I appreciate it, Rocket. Stay tuned on Sorallo Sports Talk. When we come back, time for my final word to wrap up the episode. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. All right, time for the final word on Sorallo Sports Talk after that incredible spot by Jared Carabas, the rocket, coming on the show. And you know I'm taking him up on that offer. He said, let him know. He'll come back whenever. I'm absolutely having him back on. Might wait till the offseason. Might wait till winter meetings. Might join him at winter meetings. No, he didn't invite me. I'm inviting myself to that one. But why the hell wouldn't I go to winter meetings this year? Assuming they still have them with, with COVID and everything. But that was a great spot from Carabas. And got to use my final word this week to talk about Monday's trade deadline. Because that was, it had just one of the weirdest deadline day feels to it that I can ever recall. And I don't mean weird in a good way, like butterflies in your stomach weird. I just mean like didn't feel that significant weird. Because think about it, right? Baseball, the deadline's usually obviously July 31st when things are normal. But that's the only thing going on for two weeks leading up to the deadline, right? I mean, there's no other sports. Maybe you get a little basketball free agency in early July. But outside of that, nothing else happens in July. You've got the all-star game for baseball and you've got the trade deadline for baseball. And that's it. And you usually have 10 teams making the playoffs. So there are a lot more sellers, a lot fewer buyers, but they're more invested. This year, you've got 16 teams making the playoffs. Season's halfway done. Pretty much everyone is still in it. Uh, There are like 24 teams that still have a chance at making the playoffs right now. So far fewer sellers, way more buyers, way more teams standing pat. 
just had a totally weird feel to the whole thing. But I think everyone knows who the big winner is for the trade deadline because it's pretty obvious. It was the blockbuster. Most of us, well, I guess I woke up to it because I'm a bum and didn't get up until about noon. But on Monday, early in the day, Mike Clevenger going from Cleveland to the San Diego Padres. Talked about it with Jared a little bit, obviously. That's got to be your big winner right there. I mean, the Padres bringing in Clevenger. You throw him along with Paddock now. Now, they gave up a lot of pieces, obviously, and Cal Quantrill was having a fine year. But now you throw in Clevenger, a guy who last year was in the Cy Young conversation for Cleveland. You throw him with Paddock at the top of that rotation. They have one of the best lineups in baseball with Tatis, Machado, and Hosmer at the heart of it. Throw in Will Myers, Mitchie Moreland now. I mean, the San Diego Padres are legitimately like a World Series contender now. And Mike Clevenger has to seal the deal uh, on them being absolutely, I would say, top two. I would say Padres and the Dodgers, top two teams in the National League. And Clevenger seals the deal on them winning the deadline. Because there were other good moves and there were other you know, ancillary winners. I love what the Blue Jays did. I mean, when was the last time that the Toronto Blue Jays were actually buyers at the deadline? Was it 2015? And they bring in Tawan Walker about a week ago. Then they close it with Robbie, Robbie Ray and Ross Stripling and then Jonathan Villar to be a utility guy. I mean, you know, Villar will probably start. And then when they get Bro Bichette back, the ultimate bro, uh, Villar will probably just play a utility role. But the Blue Jays, what they're doing, I mean, I'm just waiting for them to overtake the Yankees for second place in the American League. Can we get the Yankees the fuck out of the playoffs? I mean, what would be better than the World Series favorites coming into 2020 missing the playoffs? I, I like Garrett Cole has given up more home runs than Jacob deGrom has allowed runs. Is this, just so we're clear, like there's no longer a debate about who the best pitcher in baseball, who the best pitcher in New York is, right? Like that's done. I mean, I, I know DeGrom didn't have a great start Monday. Only one earned run. Gave up four runs. Imploded a little bit with two outs in the sixth inning. I know he wasn't great. But, like, we can still agree that Garrett Cole has sucked this year. And I'm enjoying it, right? Because the Yankees, if they weren't decimated with injuries, they'd probably be better than they're playing right now, obviously. You know, losing Glaber, losing Judge, losing Stanton. And they were all having, well, Judge and Stanton especially were having pretty good seasons. But Garrett Cole has been fine. There's no injury there. He has just sucked, and I'm really enjoying watching Garrett Cole go out there every fifth day and just give up the long ball. Like, there are few things I'm enjoying about this baseball season, being a Mets fan, and watching Garrett Cole just continuously get shelled is actually fucking amazing. Now, the Mets, don't get me wrong, look, the Yankees, awful deadline day, didn't make a move. With all their injuries, could absolutely use a move. The Mets, I don't know what's worse. The fact that the Yankees didn't make a move or that the Mets made three moves and accumulated a total war, wins above replacement, of negative half a win. So the Mets, uh, the Yankees, like, they stood pat. They said, all right, we like the team we got. We're still in the playoffs. Anything can happen come October. That's fine. The Mets actually went out of their way to acquire guys who, on paper, who statistically make them worse. You know, I mean, the Chirinos deal, like, I don't understand I know Ali Sanchez sucks, he can't hit, and he's awful behind, he, he's like Gary Sanchez defensively when he came into the league, minus being able to hit the baseball, which is never good. Uh, Tomas Nito, don't know when he'll be back, obviously he's the one who had COVID, um, he's our best catcher right now, and that's a problem, when, Tom, when Tomas Nito is your best, 
I'm not just saying best defensive catcher. When he's your currently your best catcher, period, that's a big problem. Ramos does not look nearly as good at the plate as he did a year ago. Looks equally as bad defensively as he did a year ago. Again, a huge problem. So I get the need for a catcher, but Robinson Chirinos? I mean, this guy is hitting... Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I believe he's hitting like 130. And, you know, I mean, Gary Sanchez is hitting about 130. Gary Sanchez also has six home runs and just dicked one to beat the Mets uh, in game two of the doubleheader on Sunday. So, yeah, all right, 130 with six home runs looks a little better than 130 and zero pop. Like, Robinson Chirinos, I don't get the acquisition. I know they were looking at Christian Vasquez, who also has another year of eligibility on his contract. So a year and a half of Vasquez would have been really freaking nice, but I guess that's too much to ask for if you're the Mets. It is what it is. All I can say to that, to close the show, is thank fucking God Steve Cohen is going to own this team next season. Because that can't come soon enough. And don't get me wrong, like I'm super pumped, by the way. A lot of people are opposed to Todd Frazier coming back. I actually can't wait to have Todd Frazier back, uh, especially before a weekend series with the Phillies. I would love to see uh, Frazier and Jake Arrieta go at it. They came pretty close last year. Would love that to happen. I think Frazier would wreck Jake Arrieta. Yeah, Arrieta's one of those guys who like tries to play it off like he's farm strong, country strong, like Midwestern dude. Frazier's got that New York, New Jersey. He will kick Jake Arrieta's ass. Like, I don't care who, who looks better. Todd Frazier would really hurt Jake Arrieta. So with a lot of games left against the Phillies, I'm actually really pumped to have Frazier back. Gives you some pop off the bench. Everyone who's ever played with the guy loves him. You know, he's the ultimate. If he's on your team, you love him. If he's not, you hate him. And I love guys like that. I was talking about, I think on my last show, I mentioned like Jimmy Butler is a guy like that. You saw it uh, in his game against Milwaukee. Like he just took over and he's not there to make friends. You know, he's, he's there to win. And I totally respect that. No one, if you're getting paid, you shouldn't be there to make friends. You should be there to win. And obviously Jimmy Butler and Todd Frazier, you know, can't really compare them. One is elite at his job. The other is a role player at this point in his career. But I'm pumped to have Frazier back. The Chirinos move makes no sense. And uh, we'll see what the hell Miguel Castro does. I mean, the bullpen can't get any worse in that respect. So I guess, you know, it doesn't hurt. But yeah, pretty uneventful. For New York in the trade deadline. San Diego, big winner. I mean, Mike Clevenger with... And I talked about it in the interview with Rocket. So, like, I'm not going to spend too much time harping on it anymore. But, like, Clevenger with the ultimate baller move of 2020. Pisses off everyone in his organization in Cleveland. They pretty much swear you're never going to play another game for us. And his big punishment is he gets traded to fucking San Diego. I mean, you heard Rocket say it. Like, weed's legal. It's 75 and sunny year-round, probably the best-looking women, uh, top two cities, I would say, for best-looking women in the country, and I know Clevenger's like 30 years old and he's married and has kids, so maybe that's not a factor, but like, it's still San Diego, so Mike Clevenger, he's your big winner, and that, that, there it is, you know, the Padres aren't the winner, uh, the Reds, they bring in Archie Bradley, they're not the winner, Blue Jays aren't the winner, no, your trade deadline winner is Mike Clevenger, so way to fucking go, sunshine. Just like that, this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. Special thanks to The Rocket, Jared Carabas, for hopping on the show. Special thanks to my guy, Carter Raymond. Special thanks to Kirsten Krull for everything they do to help this show get up and running. Guys, I'll see you next week. Nobody to love
To believe, you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.